When I taught high school, I can say it was enjoyable after the first two years. <laughs> the first two years were challenging, for I was not schooled to teach. And I landed in the classroom with a lot of misconceptions. You could say I was a little naive and unprepared in 2006. Maybe I should have been alerted to the fact that the job of a high school teach science teacher would be tough when I heard that the teacher I replaced mid-semester, on my birthday no less, was leaving the profession entirely because students were so out of order. I went into that room with only the authority of my assistant principal whose office was at least a three-minute um, three walk from my classroom. I needed a lot of grace to get me through those days. My first test was day two, the day after my birthday, mind you, when a tussle broke out between two boys only a few minutes before the bell. Well, I did not know what to do other than push the emergency button for my administrator, who was three minutes away. <laughs> the first lesson learned Stay in your seats until the bell rings. They weren't bad kids. They were just boys testing this new teacher who was clearly anxious and not in charge. Over time, my classroom skills improved with training, experience, and mentorship. I learned that establishing and enforcing classroom procedure is the most essential thing about being a teacher. Well, sort of. And I did learn how to teach by earning a teaching certificate through the county school board. I continued to teach for over a decade beyond the average stay of four years for people who enter education as a second career. One morning sometime around year six or seven during a biotech class full of really bright sophomores, a student told me something I already knew that made it painfully clear I was in the wrong vocation. I can still see this 16-year-old girl's beautiful face with her open smile, flat out tell me, you know something, Ms. D, you're too nice. <laughs> that was the ultimate blow to any sense of authority I ever possessed. <laughs> in that moment, I was exposed, and I'm sure that my face turned a bit rosy. I think bathroom passes were my biggest downfall. I could just... I could not say no, and of course, my leniency was taken advantage of. Certain students exceeded the 10-minute limit because they were roaming the halls looking for their friends. I also knew that quite a few of my students came from unimaginable family situations, and I didn't want to lower the hammer on them for what I thought were small infractions. I thought that by keeping issues small, not drawing light to them, while being aware that they were happening was the best strategy for me. As long as the infraction stayed small, I would just let it alone. I wouldn't turn a student in to the administration for in-school suspension, where they sit in a room with other students all day away from classroom instruction. Maybe you would call it mercy, withholding an earned punishment. So what is mercy as described in the text today? In our translation of Hosea, the Lord says that he desires steadfast love, not sacrifices. The word written in Hebrew is chesed, hesed. It is used in the Old Testament nearly 250 times. It's the word used in our beloved verse written by the prophet Micah. 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? These words are inscribed in our labyrinth just outside the west door of our church. The Hebrew word hesed is complex. It encompasses meanings that include steadfast love, as in our reading, loving kindness, mercy, compassion. Implied in the meaning is a commitment or loyalty within a relationship. It's a covenant that relies on trust. In the writings of the prophet Hosea, hesed expresses God's love for his wayward people, Israel, and God's way to keep the covenant. The people express contrition and know that the Lord will appear like the spring rains that will water the earth. But consistently, their repentance is short-lived, and the Lord laments, what shall I do with you? And the people respond with sacrifices. But God will not dissolve the bonds with Israel. Therefore, God will maintain the covenant through hesed, mercy, compassion, loving kindness. Even though Ephraim and Judah's steadfastness is still as fleeting as the morning cloud and the dew that goes away. God looks for evidence of the people's love for him. God calls his people in love, not through the placeholders of promised salvation, the law and burnt sacrifices, but through steadfast love and God's desire, is God's desire. Mercy is a word used by Jesus at dinner after Matthew accepts Jesus' call, follow me. At dinner, mercy is explicitly offered to the sinner and tax collectors. And though Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees when he responds that those who are well are in no need of a physician, he has come to call sinners to him, not the generous, not the righteous, or law-abiding. In this scene, Jesus mercifully interjects himself when the Pharisees directly confront the disciples, and he compassionately defends his disciples and the rest sitting at the table. At the same time, he'd rather pointedly instructs the learned leaders in the law to leave them alone and maybe look at scripture a little bit more closely. They need to look beyond the texts that emphasize law. I can imagine if Jesus were here in Naples, he would tell them to take a scroll or two with them to the beach some morning with a cup of coffee before the afternoon rains and read some of the prophetic writings such as Hosea or Micah. In those texts, they just might learn that God desires love. Jesus says to the Pharisees, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Here the Greek word written, ilios, translates more closely to the English words mercy or compassion. The meaning of this word is more precise for us, but, evident, but evidence of hesed from ancient scripture is found in the next part of Matthew's gospel. After dinner, we witness Jesus' compassion towards a religious leader, the leader of the synagogue in Capernaum. This leader, who can we can presume is righteous, comes to Jesus kneeling before him in faith and asks him to lay hands on his daughter so that he may bring her back from the dead. He's asking for Jesus' compassionate touch, even knowing that Jesus will be made unclean by touching the dead. 
Unlike the Pharisees who interrupted dinner with unimportant social issues, the leader is clear about the subordinate role of ritual purity laws to God's desires for reciprocal hesed. And in his mercy, Jesus goes to the leader's house, takes the dead daughter's hand, and she comes back to life. And we can't gloss over the woman who is trapped in the very sad and desperate situation of ritual uncleanliness caused by her flow lasting 12 years. Because of her steadfast faith in God, her hesed, she touches the tassels on Jesus' cloak, and she is made well. Jesus clearly states that her faith has made her well. It is not just a miracle that he performs, although I'm sure that touching him versus touching another Jewish man would probably not given her the same result. Nevertheless, he acknowledges her suffering and her unwavering love of God. Even though she is apart from her community, she still loves the Lord. She gets it. She loves God. The purity laws keeping her from interacting with her community are painful, but she remains faithful. Imagine that. It isn't only that these two people believe that Jesus is a worker of miracles, having heard about him as he traveled through Galilee. They love God with a steadfast love. They have remained unwaveringly faithful, not taking God for granted, as in the story you heard from Hosea. You could say they were ready for their encounter with God, and with certain joy, encountered God, encountered God the merciful. Jesus is the compassionate physician for the suffering in mind, body, and spirit. He is even here for the righteous. Imagine the self-described upright Pharisees taking a moment to look beyond their hollow self-image. Jesus is also here for them, of course. Jesus is the healer of the breach, the great chasm filled with laws and customs that were leading God's people away from God's purpose for them, that they would be a nation that would teach the world about Yahweh and bring them to God. Jesus teaches us that all that is good is from God, as the flesh of Abraham through God's love and our participation in that love through Christ. Even as imperfect as we are, we are endowed with righteousness by faith. What a precious gift. For it is not the law that saves, Christ our Redeemer saves. The Lord says to us in the Old and New Covenants, Your steadfast love is my desire. Your mercy for one another is my call to you.